Good morning. I'm the Reverend Helen Cook, the local minister at Muckert and Dollar Churches of Scotland. And welcome to our time of worship together. Whatever time of the day it is that you're looking at this, you're very welcome. Recently, I'm, I'm reading a book with morning and evening prayers. And it was written by a man called Tom Schumann, an American pastor, and he wrote it specially for the time of the pandemic. And I've taken our call to worship today from this book. He quotes Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What then are we to say about these things? Then he goes on. Simply this. God has not forsaken us, has not forgotten us, has not walked away from us. God has a tight grip on us, has wrapped us in love, poured grace into our souls. For neither foolish politicians, nor those who make bad choices, neither a virus we cannot see, nor the angry people we can hear, neither what yesterday, today, nor tomorrow bring, nothing, absolutely not a thing, will ever, will ever, will ever separate us from the love of God. Let us pray. It is time for worship, God in community, holy and one, and we offer your hearts, our lives, our souls in worship to you, as always. Amen. I really like a whole range of different kind of readings and poems. And the poem that I picked this week is actually for the children in the church, but I thought you might like to hear it too. It's not a very intellectual poem, but it's rather nice, I think. If you want to know God, do you have to be great? Do you have to be special to be Jesus' mate? If ever you wonder what Jesus might say, he might give an answer in this kind of way. You don't have to be rich. You don't have to have money. You don't have to be clever. You don't have to be funny. You don't have to be tall. You don't have to be old. You don't need fancy clothes or to wear rings of gold. You don't have to be good. You don't have to be right. You don't have to be quiet or nice and polite. You don't have to come first. You don't have to win. You don't have to be gorgeous and you don't have to be thin. You don't have to be tidy. You don't have to be clean. You don't have to be famous. You don't have to be seen. You just have to be you. You can come as you are. You don't have to change anything. You're already a star. You're already perfect. You're already fine. You're already brilliant. And God says... You're mine. Rather a nice poem, I think. Our reading this week is another reading from the beginning of the Gospel of John. And it's in chapter 2, following on from the wedding at Capernaum at Cana of Galilee. And it's from verse 13 to 25. Then it was time for the annual Jewish Passover celebration and Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep and doves for sacrifices and money changers behind their counters. Jesus made a whip from some ropes and chased them all out and drove out the sheep and oxen, scattering the money changers' coins over the floor and turning over their tables. 
Then going over to the men selling doves, he told them, Get these things out of here. Don't turn my father's house into a marketplace. Then his disciples remembered this prophecy from the scriptures. Concern for God's house will be my undoing. What right have you to order them out? The Jewish leaders demanded. If you have this authority from God, show us a miracle to prove it. All right, Jesus replied, this is the miracle I will do for you. Destroy this sanctuary and in three days I will raise it up. What? they exclaimed. It took 46 years to build this temple and you can do it in three days. But by this sanctuary, he meant his body. After he came back to life again, the disciples remembered that he'd said this and realised that what he'd quoted from the scripture really did refer to him and all came true. Because of the miracles he did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many people were convinced that he was indeed the Messiah. But Jesus didn't trust them, for he knew mankind to the core. No one needed to tell him how changeable human nature is. Amen. May God bless this reading from his word and to his name be the praise and the glory. Let us pray. Great and mighty God, we praise you that you are a God unleashed, present with us at all times and in all places, in your glory and in your power. We thank you that you reveal yourself to us in so many ways, sometimes through the wonders of your creation, sometimes through people, through the hustle and bustle of daily life, and also at times of stillness and reflection. Great God, you are higher than our highest thoughts, yet always close by our side. You're greater than we can imagine, yet made known to us in Christ. Though we wander away from you, you always seek us out. Though we may feel distant from you, always you are near. We praise you and marvel at your loving care. Generous God, give us the humility to acknowledge our weakness beside your greatness. Give us faith to trust in you, despite our doubts and our blindness to your glory. Give us joy in knowing you, despite the limitations of our understanding. And grant us peace in serving you, knowing that you are the Lord of all, we offer you our worship as we share together in the prayer you gave us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever. Amen. A reflection on the passage we read from John's Gospel. I expect many of you will remember the story of Jenny Geddes. Remember when King Charles I in 1637 had declared that all the churches in Britain had to use an Episcopalian prayer group 
instead of the extempore Presbyterian style of prayers, and in the High Kirk of St Giles in Edinburgh, when the minister obeyed him and began to read the first prayer of the service from the new prayer book, Jenny Geddes stood up from her stool, picked the stool up and flung it at the minister. I looked up what it was she shouted. It was, Deal gie ye colic, the way ye, fouse thief, dor ye say mass in my lug. As a youngster, I was thrilled when I heard that story. Oh, that something so exciting could happen in church. But I wouldn't encourage any of my congregation to copy her actions. In today's reading, Jesus' protest took place in the temple in Jerusalem, a temple which was 46 years in the building, built by Herod the Great and added to by his son, also called Herod, in Jesus' day. And less than 40 years later, it was sacked and destroyed by the Romans. It was certainly a much larger building than St Giles, the High Kirk in Edinburgh. Much of it was open air. The courts which surrounded the building which housed the Ark of the Covenant, the building known as the Holy Holies, these courts included the Court of the Gentiles, the Court of the Women, and the court where Jewish men were free to go, a court which surrounded the places in which only the Levites and the priests could be in. It was in the Court of the Gentiles that the moneylenders made their money, and it was in the Court of the Gentiles where birds and beasts for sacrifice could be bought. To buy them, you had to have the temple's currency. So changing money into temple currency was the very lucrative business of the money changers. And then there were the stalls with the birds and the beasts, considered good enough for sacrifice in the temple. It tells us Jesus made a thong of leather, but nowhere is indicated that he used this on people. Far more likely he used it to scatter the cages of the beasts and the birds and to free them. There's no doubt that he considered what went on in the temple precinct in the court of the Gentiles to be a corruption of what God intended to happen in the temple. And he told them that they had all turned God's house into an emporium, the Greek word used here, into a marketplace when it should have been a house of prayer. Why did he do this? The Judeans asked him. What sign are you going to show us to explain why you're doing this? And the reply that Jesus gave them was rather cryptic and pointed to his own death and resurrection. He said, destroy this temple and I'll raise it up in three days. Writing about 70 years later, John had had plenty time to think about this. And here he comments, Jesus was speaking about the temple of his body. And when he was raised from the dead, the disciples remembered that he'd spoken this and they believed in the word which Jesus had spoken. John the Baptist had already called Jesus the Lamb of God. And here at Passover in Jerusalem, Jesus himself was talking about his death and resurrection. The temple in Jerusalem, which was built by human beings and the place where they believed God to dwell in all his glory, was not going to last long. 
But Jesus himself is the true temple, the word made flesh, the place where Jesus chose to make his dwelling. And at the end of the passage, John hints as to how people should respond to this. If you see the signs Jesus is doing, then trust him, believe in him. Jesus, after all, he tells us, is the one who knows us through and through. It's not just John, though, but all the disciples till after the resurrection took a while to understand that Jesus came to show us God. Peter, if you remember, became quite near to understanding. He said, you are indeed the Christ, the Son of God. And it wasn't till the resurrection that they truly began to understand. And in the Gospels which they have preserved for us, and the, the stories which they've preserved for us, they have done so so that we might understand and in Jesus see God. In chapter 14 of John's Gospel, Philip, one of the very first disciples who came to, to Jesus in chapter 1, said to Jesus, show us the Father, Lord, and we'll be truly content. And Jesus answered, Philip, have I been with you so long, yet you still do not realise who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father also. You know, I think about family likenesses sometimes when I look at my children and my grandchildren. Maybe you're the same. I wonder who you were like in your family. And did you like to be told that you were like them? One of my brothers, who looked most like our father and his grandfather, despaired and accurately foretold that he would be bald by the time he was 25. And it was so. I took after my father's sister, who was 55 when I was born, so I only really knew her as an older person. And for some time now, I have been smiling at her every morning in the mirror. But when it comes to Jesus, we're not talking about just a resemblance, but an exact likeness. For he tells us that he and the Father are one. It took his followers rather a long time to recognise that truth. In fact, for almost his entire ministry, they failed to grasp it. But finally, they came to understand that in Jesus they saw the very face of God. I know we can philosophise about faith, we can discuss it, debate it, read about it, but looking at the life of Jesus in the Gospels, reading the letters sent to the early churches, founded across the then known world by the Apostles and by Paul, all their letters reflecting on Jesus' life and ministry, words and deeds, these are the basis on which we can work out our faith for today. And we're not alone as we do this. God's Spirit is with us. If we take time to pray, when we take time to be still and to listen for God's promptings, then we learn to know him and to love him and to draw closer to us, to him. But I know many of us have very busy lives with many responsibilities. So I'm going to close with sharing what I always think is a bit of a statement of faith. I read it in a book written by Peter Miller called The Surprise of the Sacred. 
This is what is written. Amidst the washing up and shopping and filling in forms and paying bills and worrying about the next bill and feeding the dog and catching the bus and getting to work, paying more bills, getting the children from school, may there be these moments of simple awareness in which I know I am held in the wonder of God's love, where my heart is truly at home and at peace. Amen. And now may God bless us, God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, bless us and keep us and all those dear to us today and forevermore. Amen.